you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Part of one of my ministry classes in seminary, we were uh, tasked with writing a theology of pastoral ministry. Uh, how do we understand that role from what we've learned in scripture and from tradition, from uh, our reason and our experience? What, what is our understanding of that which we've called to, been called to? Uh, and their, their dream is that you have done this deep reflective work and you have a plan that is going to lead you through a, a lifetime of fruitful ministry. Uh, where you neither burn out or rust out, and you, and you reach the finish line uh, in good shape with fruit to show for it. Um, my paper did not get the best grade of seminary because uh, there were some places where I wrote in there some things that uh, are generally not accepted as ideals for pastoral ministry. And, and the biggest one was this commitment I have that you should know me as a fully human person, a person who has flaws, uh, who is uh, being sanctified just like you are, a person who is uh, a dad who's hoping his kid doesn't raise his hand when he's like, when Darren says, uh, does he mind your life get frustrated or angry? Yes. Um, conventional wisdom says that pastors are supposed to be detached from the people they pastor, that uh, you shouldn't know us too well or uh, you will see behind the, kind of behind the curtain and uh, you'll lose some of your faith and some of your journey of sanctification. You're not uh, supposed to tell you, I'm not supposed to tell you when I have struggles or worries or fears. Uh, you're supposed to think I am entirely sanctified from the moment of birth, have never sinned, have never been frustrated, and come up to the sacred text, uh, holy, uh, holy, not the W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, but holy. Um, and it's just something I, uh, I can't subscribe to. Uh, some of the most important pastors in my life have modeled something completely different uh, from David and Carol Gehring, the pastors who baptized me and came back later in life, who came to our house and had dinner, who talked about their struggles, from my youth pastor who let us know what it was like uh, to be in his shoes and trying to grow in holiness, from uh, Todd Nelson to Teddy Ray to Mike Powers, uh, they have shown me that you can be human <laughs> You can be in process and still be a pastor. But somehow this has become uh, what at least they expect from pastors, right? Some of you look, oh, you should surely be open and free, but, the, but, but this is something that has reached the academy and it's reached some churches uh, that uh, we should have this distance. And I just think it's malarkey. I, uh, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. Because I, I can look not just at those pastors who have influenced me, but I can look at uh, the saints of the church, and I can look at the stories from Scripture and see that God has not uh, fled from people who are still in process. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll talk about uh, those saints who are so amazing and so holy, and, and uh, I've, I've, heard, I've heard it said, but I'm no Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was not Mother Teresa as we have held her up to be either. Mother Teresa spent decades not sure if she was doing anything that mattered, if, if God was actually uh, even uh, in the midst of what she was doing. 
Augustine, the great uh, doctor of the church, a hot mess just all around, uh, all kinds of sin problems, all kinds of wrestling with God problems, and things that uh, you would not uh, share in polite company. The people in Scripture, uh, we tend to think of them as the heroes of faith, right? This is uh, Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 13, one of them, full of the heroes of faith, and yet they mess up at every point, and their mess-ups become a very uh, moment for God to reveal God's grace uh, from Adam to the new Adam, from uh, Abraham to uh, whoever is present at new creation. God meets us in that mess, and Paul is no different. You heard our Romans reading today from Dave. I sent it to him earlier this week. Well, first of all, I sent Dave a text that said, hey, would you be interested in doing a reading this week? And he said, I think I'll be there. Sure, I'd love to do that. I never tell you the text I'm going to send you until you've agreed to do it. Uh, And so then I sent him a text with the Romans passage and a link to the CEB, and he could not have finished reading it, and he had already texted back, and he was like, well, that's a cheerful reading. Um, And it's, some passages are harder to say, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God after, right? Today's Roman text is one of those. Uh, Paul makes a huge shift for us. We've been in a very theoretical, uh, rhetorical place in Romans where Paul has been encouraging us in these uh, ideals of holiness to, uh, to cling to God in new ways and to grow in our holiness. And then he pivots to himself. This is something they teach you in seminary. Make sure you find an ethos moment, right? Make sure you can connect some way between us. Uh, And Paul pivots in the most vulnerable way possible. (sighs) What scum I am. I'm a wretched sinner. Everything I want to do, I don't do. And everything I don't want to do, I do do. Dave's right. There's a lot of places where you can double negative this passage and you can triple negative it. But Uh, Paul is groaning under the weight of the very reality he is living in. He has in his mind uh, this desire of what his life would look like. He'd be free from sin, there'd be no struggles, and he could say, just look like me, I'm perfect. Sin has uh, left the building, folks, be just like me. But instead he says, I am scum. Sin still has its grip on me, even as I know in my mind, in my heart, and in some part of my body, uh, that uh, I desire something different. We have to remember that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, uh, which at this point is the kind of the intellectual capital of the world, right? Uh, We tend to think of the uh, kind of gospel times as like Uh, closer to cavemen than to us, right? This is an entirely different intellectual world, and they, you know, they didn't have IBMs or Macs. This is way back then. Um, We often fail to consider that this is the height of philosophy. Paul lives uh, just a few centuries after Plato and Aristotle. He is uh, uh, in the world where these are uh, the writers that grasp people's heart and mind. He lives in a community and is writing to a church who would absolutely be thinking in terms of the the things that Plato wrote in the Republic and the the wrestlings that these authors did. And one of their chief wrestlings is with the passions. And the passions are hard to really nail down. Our church history study has been trying, uh, but we've kind of been diving past them. But uh, the passions are these things inside of us that come together to help uh, form us to be and to act the way we are. And the three primary parts of our passions, 
you gotta, sometimes you gotta put a sticky note on here, make sure you remember them right, is reason, spirit, and appetites. The philosophers uh, did this before we ever have Jesus on the scene, this idea that there are different things that work within us. Reason, uh, for them, is probably a heart thing. We might think of it more as a mind thing, but this is that intellectual moment where we can say, I know this to be true despite X, Y, or Z. Reason is uh, the thing about knowledge. Spirit is uh, that uh, almost indescribable essence of uh, some kind of transcendent thing happening. And then the appetites, though they talk about food, are really about almost the like reptilian nature of our bodies. We just do stuff, right? I, I, am, I know I'm not fully sanctified, but I think y'all might all be. You have not done anything where you're like, How did, why did I do that? Why? I wouldn't have wanted to do that. My, my body just like took over. Something happened, right? Are, we, are all our hands behind our backs so we don't raise our hands for that one at all? I thought it was a very effective technique Darren employed there, and uh, it's taken some of the pressure off. Uh, we know that there's the same tension in our mind that there is for Paul, right? Uh, our mind can have this theoretical uh, knowledge of exactly how things should be. We can know the places where God is sanctifying us. We can know the things that trigger us towards sinfulness, and we can set up barriers and boundaries and things that help us avoid those. We can do all the things, and still other times, our body takes hold. And so while Dave was right to text me, whew, uh, this was not a joy-filled passage, I think it's actually much, uh, much less of a bummer than we think it is. <laughs> Hear me out. Paul is not just saying, oh, if I could just get rid of this uh, this terrible human flesh, I'd be great because then I'd just be mind. This is the earliest heresy of the church. Our bodies are the things that cause us to sin, so as soon as we can free ourselves from them, we will achieve glorification in our minds and we will be set free from sin. Instead, Paul is saying, I'm living in this tension that my body is doing these things and yet I know where I want to go and who I want to be and how I want to live. And he's really, he's really quick with the, uh, the turn of phrase at the end, right? Usually we expect a, a, a resounding paragraph-long beautiful moment, but he quickly says, but thank God through Jesus Christ, my mind is, uh, is of course you can't pull this up, is, uh, is good even while my body struggles. Uh, Paul is naming the very thing uh, that I experience and that you experience, the thing uh, that makes us struggle to answer the question, am I moving on to perfection, right? If it was just about our minds, I think fairly certainly most of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I'm going on to perfection. I expect to be made perfect in this life. But we sit and occasionally go, oh, shucks, I'm scum too. Uh, sometimes my body has taken control and, and these things that are beyond what I desire have happened. But thank God for Jesus Christ, amen? You know, and uh, I got a helpful email this week asking me to reflect on how we know we're moving on to perfection. And I wrote about it in our weekly email and it's in your bulletin. Uh, our tradition employs uh, formation and community. Uh, the thing that made the Methodists famous is they got together in small groups and they looked after each other. They asked questions about the good you've done and the evil you've done, about uh, how you've attended to the means of grace 
and then how they can pray for each other. They did these things because uh, sometimes you got to say stuff out loud for somebody else to help you uh, kind of move forward in, in your journey of holiness. And I stand by that as uh, the best thing you could do. If you were looking at growing in holiness and you were recognizing this tension within your body of the way uh, you know intellectually you want things to go and yet the way life is happening, if you, if you desire to say, yes, I'm going on perfection, get in a group. And if you can't form one, we'll find one. You let me know and we'll get you in a group that is moving in this direction. But there's a whole other tradition I'd encourage you to, to, to as well, which is the tradition of contemplation. Uh, the, uh, the, the Jesuits make this probably the most famous in the Catholic tradition uh, with St. Ignatius and his idea of the examine, this ongoing process of self-reflection. In the rooms of recovery, working the steps in many ways is a journey of self-reflection, of dealing with these things. And so I invite you to find uh, a way of reflecting. And I'll offer up one. Uh, and we'll be glad to talk about others. We have a whole group of folks who have done studies on spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines that would love to uh, do things on scripture reading and prayer and fasting and uh, sacraments. Uh, I'd call us back to our mission and vision as a church as a perfect tool for reflection. Maybe not perfect, as a good tool for reflection. We say that our mission is to make disciples across the street and around the world, and that we do that by worshiping by participating in some form of grow, study, small group, whatever, and by serving. And if we, if we believe in this mission, if we believe in our strategy, our vision, our audacious, only God could do it thing, is that we would reform the nation, particularly the church, through the spread of scriptural holiness. That is a great bunch of Christian scribal words right there, isn't it? Reform uh, and scriptural holiness. We looked across church history at what, what did the church always say holiness looked like? If you're feeling a little bit like scum, if you're feeling that, that, that reptilian instinct has taken over, if you're not quite ready to say, I'm moving on to perfection, uh, we, we think there are some ways you can reflect on your holiness and where God might help you grow. Can we get those on the screen? I hope we can get them on the screen. Uh, so these are what we say are the marks of someone going in scriptural holiness, that you are growing in the love of God and neighbor. Uh, that's the first non-negotiable mark of someone growing in scriptural holiness, is that you're growing in love of God and love of neighbor. That you practice the spiritual disciplines. In our tradition, we do really hold that there are five. Corporate worship, uh, receiving the Eucharist, prayer, scripture reading, and fasting. Um, we believe that someone who's moving on to uh, scriptural holiness uh, is, uh, sees stewardship as a spiritual work on reflecting on uh, assets and time and how they're used. We believe that someone growing in scriptural holiness uh, practices mercy and justice. We believe that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we uh, become invitational, and that somehow our life is multiplicative. There is something beyond us. Multiplicative, man, that just, uh, it's not one we talk about a lot, but uh, the Christian tradition is, is, is the story of people who then uh, make new disciples around them. And that doesn't necessarily look like, hey, Marilyn's going to go grab Jan and they're going to get a Bible study and go to Starbucks together. But there is some way your holiness is bleeding out into helping form others. I would love to go to a Bible study where Marilyn leads Jan through something at Starbucks because they would just have the best conversation. But I'm sure for each of you, one of these you look at and go, oh, that is a place that God could be working or is working or should be working. 
I'd invite you to take these. We'll send them in the email next week. You can write them on a card if you want to right now. And let these be a tool for reflection. If you're in a covenant group, which we would love everybody to be in some type of covenant group, if you're in a Sunday school that asks questions about the Savior soul, if you're in the men's group, these would be good things to talk about. Hey, y'all, we've been meeting for a year, and we've, we've gotten really in love with each other, but do we practice mercy and justice? Hey, y'all, we have, we have been serving at X ministry for three years now, um, but we've never invited a soul to be part of what the church is doing. I love God, but I really don't like those people who are my neighbors. These would be incredible tools to reflect on where the Holy Spirit is transforming us, where we can know intellectually that we want to go, and maybe where we are wrestling against that tension inside of us. Are we going on to perfection? I'm not there yet, but I'm sure striving after it. I'm begging God for his grace each day to grow me in holiness so that I can stand up here entirely sanctified. I'm not there yet, and my prayer is that as I'm seeking it, it's my prayer for you. Can we commit to reflecting on these and inviting God's work to transform us, that even as our body wars against what we know, that we might know more fully and invite God into it? I know you still have your hands behind your back, but some head nods would be, uh, a beautiful indication that you're committed to, to discerning these things and seeking God's face. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that your scriptures are full of stories of people uh, struggling, of real humans uh, dealing with uh, the realities of, uh, of sin and evil. We thank you that we have witness to your spirit at work in the church, even in her messiness. And we give you thanks, Lord, that in the midst of our worship today, uh, you are already pouring out your grace upon us, and you simply ask us to receive it and say yes to you. So, you, Lord, receive our yes now in this moment and pour out your grace upon us that we might love you more fully, that we might be transformed more fully in the image, and that we might be going on to perfection. I pray this in the name of the one who gave themselves up for us, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.